It is my privilege to be able to come and read the Bible to us today. So it is from Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthen the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in a bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the cross. Well, friends, it's great to be here. If I haven't uh, met you, my name is Pete Stacey, and I look forward to meeting you later over a, a coffee in the courtyard there. Uh, have a look at this. This is what goes on the front back of the car for the first 120 hours of your career as a driver. It tells everyone that you're learning the basics of steering, accelerating, braking, indicating, head checks. Everything's about head checks these days, isn't it? Yeah, sore neck, just thinking about it. Um, mirrors and, and then add to that clutch and gear changes if uh, you're in a manual car. Now, the New South Wales government reckons uh, by the end of 120 hours of supervised driving, you've got enough skill and confidence to go it alone. And so you book a P's test. Lots of questions. Well, this morning I've got one question of my own to add to the mix. When the L's come off, do you forget all the basics because they're no longer relevant? It's an obvious question, isn't it? Like, obvious answer. Like, of course not. The basics undergird everything that we do and learn from then on. The mature driver, the mature driver is not the person who has left the basics behind. It's the person who has learned the basics and learned to apply the basics to every new situation they face. And it's the same for the Christian. See verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that's the basics, that's the beginning, continue to live your lives in him. And it sums up the whole letter of Colossians. Uh, they'd heard the good news about Jesus. They began by turning from sin and turning to follow Jesus. And in chapter 1, Paul is overjoyed as he hears about the fruit of the gospel in their lives. They're full of faith, they're full of love and hope. So in this letter and in this verse, right here at the heart of the letter, Paul urges them, just as you began, continue, continue. 
It's essential for them. It's essential for us too as we follow Jesus. Because like the Colossians, we face all kinds of trials and temptations and ideas and philosophies that challenge our faith. And we need to continue in the faith until we meet Jesus face to face. So let's ask God for help as we look at this passage this morning. Dear Father, as we open your word, please open our hearts so that our lives may be transformed by understanding and obeying your truth. And Father, by the power of your spirit and the truth of your word, please help us continue to the end. Amen. Well, this passage has three main sections. Verses 6 and 7 is a summary of what it means to be a Christian. And then verse 8 tells us that there's dangers to our faith as we try to continue. And the remaining verses give us some really good reasons why we should stick with Jesus and continue. Let's have a closer look. Verse 6, we saw it a moment ago, tells us to continue. But if we're going to continue, we first need to understand our direction. We need to get our bearings. So we need to understand what does it mean to receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Familiar words, but what does it actually mean? Because once we've got that, then we can continue on the right path. Well, throughout the Bible, the word Lord actually has quite a broad range of meaning. Um, At one end, it's used as a term of respect for human authorities. Kind of like saying, yes, sir. You hear it in year eight maths all the time. Uh, But it's also the most common term for God himself. In fact, in the Old Testament, many translations use capital letters for the whole word, Lord, um, to show that they're translating the Hebrew word for God's personal name, Yahweh. So what does Paul have in mind here when he says, receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Uh, What's he said about Jesus so far in the letter? We've looked at three incredible things. Firstly, Jesus is God. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And again in verse 19 of chapter 1, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Uh, The second thing that we we learned uh, so far is that Jesus is not only God, but he's creator. The end of uh, chapter 1, verse 16 sums it up. All things have been created through him and for him. And then thirdly, uh, Paul made it clear that Jesus is our rescuer. He saved us by sacrificing himself in our place. Uh, Again from chapter 1, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And again, uh, in chapter 2, it says this, For God was pleased uh, to have all his fullness dwell in him. So this is the end of chapter 1. And get this bit, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? That's also why Paul so often adds the title Christ beside the name Jesus. In fact, 12 times before we get to today's passage, uh, Paul's already done that in this short little letter. Because Christ, 
that's in the Greek language, or Messiah, that's the same name in, in Hebrew, t- same title in Hebrew. It, it's an Old Testament title meaning anointed one, and it refers to a special king that God promised to send to save his people. It's worth pointing out that in the Old Testament, God also says that he will come and save his people. And in Jesus, we have the fulfillment of both promises. God in human flesh, King Jesus, come to save his people. Jesus is God. Jesus created everything. And Jesus gave his life to rescue us so our sins could be forgiven. What an amazing Lord he is. That's the Lord that we receive. So what does it mean to receive him then? I could hold a gift out in front of you all day, but it's not yours until you personally receive it. Otherwise, I'm just standing there still holding it out. Uh, What does it mean to receive Jesus then? I want to suggest three words that match Paul's description of Jesus. Firstly, since Jesus is God, we should submit to him. There's old historical movies and you often see someone bow or or fall on one knee, you know, as as they say uh, something like, yes, my Lord, you know, before a king or something like that. Well, that's the posture of our heart when we receive Jesus as Lord. Yes, my King and my God. He is God, not me. So submit to him. Secondly, since Jesus is creator, we should trust him. He created life and knows everything about it and how it's supposed to work. He knows everything and and can see all the variables, most of which I'm completely blind to. He knows the past. He knows the future. He has a plan for my life. So it makes perfect sense to trust him. And since Jesus is our rescuer, We should delight in him. He knows that I'm a sinner. He knows I can't save myself and he doesn't ask me to. Instead, he gave his life so that I could live. It's it's an amazing transaction. So what's an appropriate response? Uh, Perhaps relief or joy. I've gone with the word delight. Live every day of our lives in a way that says, thank you, Jesus. Submit, trust, delight. In the next few words, Paul combines two images to illustrate his point. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted pictures a great tree built up. A great structure. Both are strong because of what's in the ground. As Christians, our roots, our foundations, our strength is, see the words, in the faith as you were taught. Not your faith or or my faith, but the faith. The wonderful truth of the gospel. The wonderful truth God has revealed to us in his word. That's why here at City Church, we love the Bible. 
we value the Bible. Those of us who preach, try and simply explain what the Bible is saying. It's why we often encourage you, as we're speaking from the front, keep your Bible open to the passage that's been read. Because that is a sure foundation for us to build our lives on individually and as a church. It's the truth of God. Friends, our strength is not found in how much I believe the gospel as as if somehow my belief makes it true. Or how well I can hold on to Jesus. It comes from the fact that the Bible is true. And Jesus holds on to me. And verse 7 ends with the appropriate response. Overflowing with thankfulness. Let me illustrate. Uh, We often cross over Little Lake on this bridge. There it is. Lovely photo, isn't it, from the drone? Uh, And the reason I don't fall into the water as I cross the bridge is not because my faith in its strength is somehow making it strong and holding me up. It's because the bridge holds me up. Me walking on the bridge doesn't make the bridge any stronger. It just shows that I trust it's strong enough. So my question is, Jesus is strong enough, but do we trust him? Do we trust him? He's God. He's given us life. He gave his life to save our soul. To use Paul's own words in a question, have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? That's beginning in trust. And are you continuing to walk in? In him as Lord. It's the ongoing life of trust. Now, as we come to verse 8, Paul expands on a problem that he raised earlier. Because there's all kinds of threats as we try to continue with Jesus. In verse 4 he said, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And now in verse 8 he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Same, same idea, just kind of different words. But he expands on it a bit. Which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, in some of Paul's letters, he targets specific problems, specific heresies. But that's not what's going on here. Instead, he's deliberately broad. He mentions human tradition. In other words, any type of human philosophy or worldview or idea that rejects Christ as Lord. Remember, the Colossians were going really well. They were going really well. And so Paul paints with a broad brush here. And he mentions spiritual forces, any kind of religion or cult or idea of God that rejects Christ Jesus as Lord. And his point is, don't get sucked in by it. Don't be taken captive, says Paul. Strong word, isn't it? Captive is someone who's trapped by someone or something with no way of escape. There are lots of religions and uh, humanistic philosophies in our pluralistic society today. And over time, some of them have become woven into the very fabric of our culture. And it's hard to to see them and and recognise them. And notice that they are hollow and deceptive. These philosophies promise much and deliver little. They lure us with lies and reward us. With emptiness, such philosophies 
are in conflict with the good news of life in Jesus. Now we could explore more than a dozen of these uh, if we had time. I'm going to mention just one because it was around at the time of the Colossians as well. It's called hedonism, you've probably heard of it, where the pursuit of pleasure and self-gratification is the ultimate goal of life. Hedonism had its roots in Greek philosophy and, and was first kind of articulated by a student of Socrates, a guy called Aristippus. So hedonism has been around a long time and it was there at the time of the Colossian church, but it thrives. It thrives in Western culture today. And here's the conflict. Here's the conflict. The gospel teaches that true fulfillment and meaning come from serving God and others rather than seeking pleasure for ourselves. Jesus taught that those who seek to save their lives, live for themselves, will actually lose their life. But those who lose their lives for serving Jesus will find true life. And hedonism can lead to a disregard for moral and ethical principles altogether as the pursuit of pleasure becomes the highest priority. And it conflicts with the gospel which calls uh, us, our lives to be guided by love, God's love, and compassion for others, and righteousness. Jesus taught that the greatest commandments are to love God and to love others as ourselves, which requires a selfless and sacrificial approach to life, rather than a hedonistic pursuit of personal pleasure. So when we put Christ first in our hearts, Christ as Lord, instead of self first, it changes everything. It changes our priorities and how we use our time. It changes how we use our money. It changes the the way we might choose a life partner. It changes the values and the pursuits that we're going to encourage in our children. So how can we guard our hearts against hedonism and a dozen other isms that are so much a part of our culture. Well, Paul's answer is really beautifully simple. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. And he gives us in the rest of the passage four reasons why life in Christ Jesus is better than any other path or pursuit. Number one, fullness. Verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus is God on earth. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. The first bit makes the same point as chapter 1, that Jesus is God, but now he adds a new truth. When we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, our life finds its fullness. There's our purpose. Just like Jesus said in John chapter 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. There's an old song by Jackson Brown called Running on Empty. I think many people, and perhaps you are one of them, we feel like that at times. Jesus invites us to come to him and trust him because there in him we find our fullness. There Our soul thirst is quenched. Number two, reason to follow Jesus and stick with Jesus is spiritual safety. 
He, that's Jesus, is the head over every power and authority. He made a public, uh, so, and verse 15 goes on to say, having disarmed the powers and authorities, uh, next slide, here we go, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, our culture doesn't make a whole lot of the spirit world or demons or other gods and things like this, but many cultures do. And Greek culture had many such beliefs. And Paul's point is this. Now that you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you need not fear, you need not serve any other spiritual power or authority because Jesus rules over them all and has disarmed them all, broken their power. I've spoken to missionaries from other countries that came up in our connect group this week where people fear the spirit world and go to enormous lengths to try and appease the gods. Receiving Christ Jesus as Lord means they are safe in him. And for them, as they come to understand that truth, it's an ongoing struggle to not fear other gods and ideas, but to trust Jesus. In the same way, for us, something like hedonism, putting Jesus first instead of self first, is an ongoing struggle for us. The third reason why life in Christ Jesus is better is in verse 11 and 12. I'm going to call it New life, you might come up with a better title as you hear these verses. Verse 11 says, In him you are circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. So, human hands. so we're talking about a spiritual circumcision, not a physical circumcision here. Your whole life, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In other words, the power of sin... And the penalty of sin has been chopped off our lives. That's what circumcision is all about. It's been chopped off our lives by Jesus' death on the cross. Verse 12 builds on the same idea with another picture. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Yet baptism, it's an outward sign of an inner spiritual reality. It illustrates the gospel so beautifully. Just as Jesus died and rose again, so baptism symbolizes dying to sin or burying it, as this verse says. As a challenge for us, bury our sin. It should just die in us. And then rising to new life in Christ. Wonderful picture. In fact, a few weeks, John mentioned Easter. I'll mention it now. Easter Sunday, five of our young people are are doing our baptism prep right now and have been baptised in the surf as followers of Jesus on Easter Sunday at our sunrise service. And I hope many of you might get up early and support them uh, or at least pray for them as, uh, as they do that. And if we haven't quite got the point yet, Paul says it again in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins. Strong language, isn't it? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Life ruled by sin is spiritual death. But when we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he replaces the rule of sin with his rule 
and makes us spiritually alive. There's three great reasons. And lastly, life in Christ Jesus is better because we are forgiven and reconciled to God. From the end of verse 13, he forgave all our sins. And can I just say, some of us need to hear that word, all, all our sins. Sometimes we hold on to something that we've done or something that's been done to us by someone else. Or, or maybe it's just something that we struggle with again and again and again. And, and we, we're tempted to believe the lie that says, God can't forgive you for that. Or do you really think God's going to forgive you again for that? He forgave us all our sins. And on the screen, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, just meaning that we, we haven't kept all of God's law perfectly, all that he's uh, given to us in the Old Testament. And it stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He paid the penalty in full for our sin. What wonderful news the gospel is. Now there's nothing standing us bet- between us and God. Back in sh- chapter 1, Paul said it this way, once you were alienated from God, And we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, again, we need to let those words sink in. Free from accusation. When I was about nine years old, Dad and I and a few others from our church visited an Aboriginal community, uh, Aboriginal church in a community in central New South Wales. Um, at the end, I went up and said hello to the, the pastor of the church and he turned around in his really big, deep voice. He said to me, he encouraged me, learn Colossians 2 verse 6. It's like, oh, okay, sir. <laughs> um, so, so I looked it up and we started with it. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord Continue to live your lives in him. That, friends, is the Christian life in a nutshell. Continue just as you began with Jesus, submitting to Jesus, trusting Jesus, delighting in living for Jesus. And the church in Colossae had started well and they were growing and bearing fruit and Paul told them to continue in the face of of all kinds of fine-sounding arguments and deceptive philosophies. Keep looking to Jesus. In him we find fullness of life, spiritual safety, new life free from the rule of sin. In him we are forgiven and reconciled to God. Friends, what a glorious difference Jesus makes to our lives. May that difference continue until we're with him. Amen.